It's that time once again, press fans, coming to you from Altman Studios in downtown Brentwood, to your ears wherever you are. This is Clocked in with the Press. We're trying a new format this week where we're going to do sports and news all under one roof. I'm Jake Menez. And I'm Melissa Van Ruten. For news, and with us today is... Kyle Samansky with sports. We've got some great stories for you today. We've got some theft, we've got some car crashes, we've got the latest update on Alexis Gabe. But before we get into all that, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsor. This episode of Clocked In with the Press is sponsored by Bill Brandt Ford at 8100 Brentwood Boulevard, right here in Brentwood. For award-winning sales, service, and all your Ford needs, think Bill Brandt Ford at 8100 Brentwood Boulevard. Thanks again to our sponsor. Now, let's talk about theft. Brentwood police are asking for the public's help as they investigate a robbery at Sip and Scoop and a series of attempted break-ins at other downtown Brentwood businesses that took place around 3.30 a.m. on April 15th. Security footage shows a male suspect who entered the store after hours, rifled through some items, and stole tools and a couple of tablet devices from the business, according to an email from the Downtown Brentwood Coalition. The suspect then proceeded to make his way down Oak Street and onto First Street while checking the doors of other businesses in the area, as confirmed by additional business owners. According to Amy Tilly, the director of the Downtown Brentwood Coalition, this is a rare occurrence. There are many security cameras downtown, she says, and business owners are always looking out for one another. Another break-in and vandalism occurred at Jamba Juice on Balfour Road and Brentwood Boulevard. According to an employee there, nothing was stolen despite a forcible attempt being made on the cash register and store safe. Anyone with information regarding the theft and vandalism, or if you recognize the person in the security photos, which you can find online at thepress.net, is asked to contact the Brentwood Police Department at 925-634-6911. I think it really stinks that our downtown businesses have to deal with this. So I think the big question here is why do we think that these downtown businesses specifically were targeted compared to other businesses? I just think it's probably a convenience thing. They're all just really close together. If you're walking around checking doors, it's going to be easier when you have business, 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 business. Maybe they don't have the same alarm systems that some of the the bigger corporate shops have. Right. I think that's probably a key part. These are all small businesses that may not have that feature. They're all centrally located in a fairly quiet part of town as well. So it's, you know, ample opportunity more than anything else would be my suspicion. It is a little strange, though, that they chose to continue over to Jamba Juice. So it does make me wonder a little bit about the connection. Is it like a freak occurrence that both locations were hit on the same night at the same time? That one is a little bit of an outlier in terms of, I guess we're talking the mode of being small businesses, but it is geographically, it seems like, you know, kind of a straight shot from here as well on their way out. It's true. But there's also other businesses over there that now I wonder if they have anything on their footage as well. Starbucks, there's a couple of restaurants, there's the, the barbershop. I wonder if the suspect was targeting businesses that had a higher likelihood of having cash on hand. Right, exactly. And police are asking for the public's help. So anybody listening, if you know anything about this, please, please, please go to thepress.net, look at those photos, and see if you can help take a bite out of crime. Thanks, McGruff. Moving on. An Antioch man died after the car he was driving struck a tree near James Donlin Boulevard and Silverado Drive in Antioch on April 17th. Police say Steve Hernandez, 26, the lone occupant of the vehicle, was racing with another car when his Subaru struck the tree at about 2.15 p.m., killing him instantly. Police said on April 19th that it is unknown whether drugs or alcohol were a contributing factor in the crash. Anyone with information about this is asked to call the Antioch Police Department non-emergency line at 925-778-2441, or you may also text your tip to 274637 using the keyword Antioch. 
vaguely related, April is National Distracted Driving Awareness Month. Again, and I know we've talked about this in the past, just don't do dumb things with your car. It is a privilege being able to drive. Not only do you put yourself at risk, and, and it's tragic when something like this happens for your family and your friends, but you put other people at risk too that have no choice in the matter. Just be smarter. If you really need to race, you can rent a race car at at some tracks. I'd see ads for it on Groupon all the time. Don't do it on a street where there's pedestrians and other drivers in the middle of the afternoon. And that's probably the most surprising part. You know, it says 2.15 p.m. I would expect 2.15 a.m. Right, right. I hear it on sellers all the time. Exactly. So on that note, let's pass it over to Kyle for the latest on sports. Thanks, Melissa. Let's talk about sports. The Liberty High School football team has hired a new head coach, Mike Gable. He comes from Prospect High School in Saratoga. He obviously replaces Matt Hapes, who stepped down after two seasons to spend more time with his children. But things are looking up for the Liberty Lions, despite the fact they have a new change in leadership. They were 5-5 five and five and 4-1, and one, so there's a lot to build on. Speaking of changes... 2019 former Heritage High School basketball star Ezra Mannion, who played three seasons for UC Davis, announced on social media this week that he'll transfer to Vanderbilt. The 5'11 guard averaged 13.9 points, 3.6 assists, and 3.1 rebounds over three seasons for the Aggies, while shooting 43.7% from the field and 27.6% from three-point range. People might be asking, why is he going to jump all the way from Davis... That's far. Vanderbilt's clear across the country. In Tennessee, I believe. Yeah, yeah. But this is going to really offer him, I think, better competition, greater exposure, more opportunity if he plans to play basketball professionally. And I remember back when he was playing at Heritage, we did an interview with him. He said he used to get up at 4.30 a.m. to train, and he was also traveling to San Francisco to train. I love any high school student that has that much dedication towards their craft and it sounds like it's led him to amazing things and since he's going to be in the southeastern conference which is where Vanderbilt plays there's going to be a lot more exposure right there's big time college teams in that conference Arkansas Florida Tennessee Kentucky Auburn just to say a few so we might even get a chance to see him on uh, ESPN that'd be rad continuing the good news KCA of the Heritage High School softball team was lights out for Heritage in the circle against Antioch. Heritage won 20-0, and she threw a no-hitter. Can't get much better than that. Dang, 20-0. And that's a boat race, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Some of these high school athletes, man, I can't wait to see where they go in the future. I mean, just amazing talent. And I mean, Heritage was literally unstoppable during that game. Tiana Bell hit a home run. Michaela Mortimer had four hits. Alex C. had three runs, so plenty of run support. And it feels like I say this every week, but Heritage is rolling. They're 12-3 and and 4-0 against local teams. Freedom is in second, two games behind, and Pittsburgh is in third, also two games behind. And Antioch, Liberty, and Deer Valley are trying to gain some traction there in fourth, fifth, and sixth. You know, every time that I think that you are playing favorites with Heritage, they do something to justify that you're just, you know, reporting the facts. I mean, a 20 to 0 shutout is... It's impressive. It's so impressive. Yeah, and Heritage is going to play Antioch again April 21st. (laughs) So people want to go out and possibly see another rad performance by Heritage. Check them out. Good luck out there, Antioch. 
it's time, Jake, for our weekly lacrosse update and continuing the good news trend with excellent defense, passing, shooting, and coaching the Delta Breeze 12U boys team took home a 12-3 win over the Danville Scorpions last week. And I know in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about this team on the podcast. They struggled a bit. So it's good to see them pick up a victory. But it was still the beginning of their season, right? Maybe they just needed a little extra time to get their feet under them and, and play together as a team. Coming back after a break, it, it kind of it takes a minute to, to hit your stride. So maybe that's what we're seeing here. Yeah, and it was a challenge for both teams out there. I saw pictures, and it was a downpour in Danville. Dang. So. Well, I think the funny part about that, and I don't know if I'm just noticing it because we talk about them every week or if it's something else, but I'm, I'm seeing more awareness for Delta Breeze. You'll be driving down the road and I'll see like the signage on the side of the road. There's little pop-up signs to say, you know, looking to play lacrosse. And so I don't know if they've kind of ramped up their awareness campaign or just, you know, I've become more aware of it. And for that reason, I'm starting to see it. Well, and lacrosse is a fairly new sport on the West Coast. I know growing up for myself on the East Coast, it was something that was always offered. In the Hamptons, I believe. I wasn't in the (laughs) Hamptons, Jake. I was on Cape Cod, though, so it was (laughs) (laughs) almost as bougie. (laughs) <laughs> but it was something that, that I grew up with, lacrosse, field hockey, and, and then coming out here. And it was interesting to me because I didn't see as much of it. And so here's a fun little tidbit for people who might not know. Lacrosse is actually the oldest organized sport in North America. And it has its origins in indigenous Canada as early as the 17th century. It's an organized game that was played by tribes like the Mohawk. And then after that, the Jesuit settlers kind of took it over and made it more what we see today. So it's got a very rich history. And I'm a big nerd, I know. But it's great to get out and watch a game. I went out a few weeks ago and man, they they put their heart into it. I made the joke about you in the Hamptons, but I think there is a stigma to some of these East Coast sports where they sort of thought of like as something for the upper class or the fancy people. Oh, for sure. Are you guys ready for some more inspirational news? Yes. I love that you say that before every story. I think, you know, you can't have bad news in sports. It seems like I love it about you, Kyle. Well, Unless well, you're... you can, Jake. Let's go back to that 20 to 0 <laughs> loss for Heritage in Antioch. <laughs> but we digress. Heritage Athletic Director Nate Smith released some news on social media this week about one of his students, Alejandro, and they did not release his last name, but he put on a show. He's legally blind. From what I understand, he can only see blurs, but he ran the 110 meter hurdles with the assistance of bright orange tape as an aid. I'm really interested in how. I think the key is he's legally blind, but not fully blind. So he can see blurs, as Kyle was saying. So oh, the bright so they orange the would have just given him a distinction. Correct. I get it. I love that sports remain an accessible place for all people and that our high schools work really hard to make sure that everyone can participate. I think that's a huge, huge inspiration. So thanks. Oh, right. I mean, last week, Kyle brought that great story as well with the, uh, the, the league that combined unified sports. Thank yes, you. I think it's fantastic. Let's run to the diamond. The Liberty baseball team has a two-game lead on top of the standings. They face Heritage on May 3rd and May 5th. It's going to come down to a two-team race between Liberty and Heritage, I believe. Heritage is 3-2 and two in league play this season. So those two games, May 3rd and May 5th, will go a long way in deciding who will be the Bay Valley Athletic League champion. It truly is the final countdown. I think you should sing it. Please don't, Jake. You just transition to the next story. (laughs) And that's it for this week's sports news. Up next, let's hear a word from our sponsor. But stick around because we have a lot of big stories coming at you. 
Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Bill Brandt Ford at 8100 Brentwood Boulevard. Speaking personally, I've used the service center at Bill Brandt Ford several times and have always been impressed by their commitment to the customer. I used to have this real lemon of a Ford Fusion that I had bought from a less reputable dealership, and Dave, the service advisor at Bill Brandt, moved mountains to keep that thing running. My younger sister bought a car from Bill Brandt a couple years ago, and their finance department worked with her budget, and now she drives a nicer car than I do. Don't just take my word for it, though. Bill Brandt Ford is the recipient of the prestigious President's Award from the Ford Motor Company. Only 340 of the roughly 5,000 dealerships nationwide can say the same. Locally, the communities voted them Best of Brentwood for Sales and Service. Bill Brandt aims to give customers the best dealership experience possible. So what are you waiting for? Give them a call today at 925-634-3551 for all your sales and service needs or visit BillBrandtFord.com. That's Bill B-R-A-N-D-T Ford.com. Thanks so much for listening to that word from our sponsor. And now let's get back into news. The Contra Costa County Sheriff's Office did some damage control in Discovery Bay on Monday night. Lieutenant Mark Johnson told about 50 concerned Discovery Bay residents at Cornell Park that rumors on Nextdoor.com about lack of police coverage in the town between midnight and 7 a.m. are not true. The meeting was set up to inform the public of the Sheriff's Office's coverage of the town and to dispel rumors circulating on social media. Lieutenant Johnson said someone posted on there, we didn't have coverage out here in Discovery Bay from midnight to 7 a.m. I got some calls that people were concerned, and that's what got this meeting started. Jim Madison, president of the Discovery Bay Community Foundation, facilitated the meeting so residents could learn how the sheriff's department staffed their city, how many deputies are on duty at any given time, and to discuss the types and numbers of crime that happen in town. The Sheriff's Department has at least four cars on duty 24-7 between unincorporated areas, Matson said, noting those areas include Bethel Island, Knightson, Discovery Bay, and Byron. At least one deputy is always assigned to Discovery Bay, but there are usually two in the area. We also have additional cars weekly in the area who are strictly proactive cars and are out looking for criminals and not tied up on calls for service. In addition to the four sheriff cars 24-7, we have two resident deputies just for Discovery Bay who handle anything from quality of life issues to serious crimes. Their days and hours can change depending on issues or crimes we are seeing in the community. Residents interested in hearing more are invited to attend the town's community services district virtual meetings on the first Wednesday of each month at 7 p.m. when Johnson makes his monthly report to the town. For more information or to attend, please visit www.todb.ca.gov. The catalyst here was Nextdoor.com. So it just shows the role social media can play both as a positive or a negative. You know, Nextdoor can be a great neighborhood watch thing or it can, you know, be the nosy neighbor, the Mrs. Kravitz types. 100%. And I actually saw this original post when it was posted. And it, I, I believe it's since been deleted. I went back to look for it when we were working on the story and I couldn't find it. But it really just in a matter of minutes whipped everybody up into such a frenzy and you know, and they were ready to come for the sheriff's department without really knowing the full story or having the details down 100%. And so in that case, I do believe that social media was more detrimental to what was going on, 
it's something that while I'm glad they had this meeting and dispelled these fears, it's something that could have happened with a quick phone call. You know, somebody just saying, let me let me give a call to the sheriff's office tomorrow. Let me call Martinez or, or wherever and get the details and I'll report back. But instead, everybody just fed off of one another. And it's it's classic. I feel like we see that happen quite a bit on social media these days. Right, exactly. I mean, it's amazing how easy it is to spread misinformation or disinformation, depending on, you know, your motive. And so not to pat myself on the back here, but I'm going to. One great thing that we do a good job of is to make sure that everything we're reporting on is factual and can be relied on by people reading this stuff. 100%. If you don't report the entire news story up front, and then suddenly it devolves into this sort of social media firestorm, and it turns out that the information provided wasn't even correct. Again, I'm not patting myself on the back. We have you know, a copy editor who does a lot of fact-checking. We've got Kyle. I always say that I'd rather be factual and accurate than, than the first to report. And I think it's a fantastic thing that the sheriff's department got out in front of this quickly, right? For, for sure. Because these days you hear about these rumors that just blow up into something, and it's a lot easier to kill them, so to speak, early on by getting out in front of the story and speaking the truth. Moving on, here's a story that we discussed briefly last week, but we have some new updates. A man attempting to evade bail bond agents barricaded himself in a crawl space in the basement of a home on the 500 block of 3rd Street in Oakley on April 13th before being taken into custody. The suspect has been identified as Larry Davis, a 43-year-old resident of Sacramento. He was apprehended by the Oakley police. They utilized a non-lethal sponge round also pepper spray. He was refusing to voluntarily leave the crawl space that he had gotten himself into. But after roughly 90 minutes, the police were able to apprehend him. He was transported to an undisclosed area hospital for treatment for a dog bite from the police dog that he had struck with the pipe and also the exposure to the pepper spray. He's been booked into county jail on suspicion of arson, Battery on a police animal and resisting arrest is what police stated. Those three charges were added to his initial charges that he jumped bail on for torture, false imprisonment, assault with a deadly weapon, and domestic violence. I've got two questions for you. I think people yes. are going to be dying to know. Number one, the dog was okay? Or the, the dog was okay, perfect. right? Everybody's first mm-hmm. question. The dog got checked out. The dog is expected because to be Because he had fine. struck it in the head with, I believe, a pipe or something similar. Correct, correct. And um, the second takeaway that everybody, see, you know, seems to be the biggest takeaway from the story is there are basements in Oakley? <laughs> But some of these older houses, you know, downtown Brentwood, downtown Oakley, they do have small basements and crawl spaces. Yeah, I remember it was funny that as we were reporting on that, kind of as it was happening, that seemed to be the big comment for a lot of people was, oh, I didn't know houses out here had basements. Yeah, yeah. No, some of the older ones do. The newer ones are just the the slabs. But I'm um, shifting gears for a moment. The other thing you had mentioned was they had uh, used a sponge bullet. What, how would you explain that to me? Lieutenant Roberts of the Oakley PD, he described the sponge bullets as being not as hard or as small as a rubber bullet. They're a little bit bigger and softer, I guess, but they'll still leave a mark. They they still hurt. And uh, it's just, you know, it's a non-lethal way of forcing a suspect into compliance. So moving on to our top story, I'm going to pass it back to Jake because he's been following this story very closely since it began. Yes, speaking of stories we're doing updates on, I have with me today the latest update on the missing person case for Oakley resident Alexis Gabe. It was announced this week that her family will receive financial support from Oakley City Council in their effort to raise reward money, although the exact amount has not yet been made public. 
So during the public comment portion of the April 12th council meeting, Gwyn Gabe, who is Alexis's father, addressed the city council and asked them for support in raising money to offer as a reward for information on his daughter's disappearance. Uh, you know, he said, in the meeting, we're hoping to be able to offer a reward to encourage anyone who has any information regarding her disappearance to come forward. They had asked the Oakley City Council for $10,000 as part of that reward money that they're trying to raise. After Gwyn Gabe gave his speech, uh, Mayor Randy Pope noted that the council was unable to take action on items that weren't already part of the agenda, but he did ask City Manager Josh McMurray and Police Chief Paul Beard to clarify whether or not the city had access to funds that would allow them to provide that $10,000 sum through maybe a crime supper program or something similar. And McMurray and Beard both said that they would look into it. This was during the April 12th meeting. And so they didn't take action at that meeting, but on April 19th, in the you know Bring Alexis Gabe Home Facebook group that her family is running, Gwyn did mention that they had support of the Oakley City Council and two citizens who wished to remain anonymous. They had agreed to provide not only that $10,000, but a sum you know greater than that amount. Just they haven't disclosed what that sum is yet, though. So for those who might still be unfamiliar with this story, Alexis Gabe is a 25-year-old from Oakley who was initially reported missing, quote, under suspicious circumstances on January 26th. Her last known location was on Bentry Way in Antioch, and her car was found with the keys still in the ignition on Trenton Street in Oakley. And there haven't been any sightings. There haven't been anything else of hers found since then. Right. And the frustration, I think, for a lot of members of the community just reading what happens in that Facebook group is that the police department has been acting in a way that's a little opaque. You know, they don't provide a lot of updates. I think the last major update they released was back on February 1st about they had served a search warrant in Antioch. And so I'd recently spoken to Oakley's city manager and the assistant to the city manager who's new to her role. That's Felicia Escobar. Yes. And to her credit, she's talking about how the department does have a lot of leads. They're following up on leads every day. But a big part of it, because this investigation is ongoing, the police don't really want to show their hand for fear of compromising the investigation. Well, and should they be able to compile enough evidence to bring a case against a suspect in her disappearance, any information that they release to the public could possibly affect their case in court. I know that it's been said they're they're updating the family, which honestly, let's be real, the family is the only people in all of this that are entitled to any updates. And so while I understand and can appreciate the public wanting updates, and don't get me wrong, I love the way that the communities have come together in the searching and in supporting the Gabe family. But you're not entitled to any other information than what is put out publicly. We talked earlier about spreading misinformation, disinformation. That stuff takes off like wildfire. There was even, I believe, a body found somewhere. And immediately people hopped on, it's Alexis, it must be Alexis. And it wasn't, it wasn't even a female. I understand why they're hesitant about releasing information to the public. Also, there might be information that only people related to her disappearance would know. And so maybe they're waiting for one of their their leads or suspects to give themselves away with information that hasn't been released. From one perspective, the police department really can't win. If they show their hand, then they're risking compromising this investigation. But if they're operating sort of in the shadows here like they are doing without a lot of updates, just naturally there becomes so much speculation and misinformation. And again, I saw some of these posts happen in real time. People wanted to go protest at the police department. What do you think that will solve? They are out there doing their job just because you don't know that it's happening because you're not hearing these things doesn't mean that they're not doing what they need to do. 
patience. If you're a praying person, maybe you'll pray, support. I know there's been many searches. Those have been called off for a while while they kind of reassess next steps. I know that they've asked people who own property on the Delta that might have buildings, check your buildings, check the outskirts of your property, you know, just appealing to to different avenues and let the police do their job. And when they have information for the public, they'll release information. I know for a fact, after talking with some of them, they want to have as much transparency as possible, but they also don't want to jeopardize the case. For all the major updates, we will continue to provide those. But for everything as far as if you want to help volunteer and all that, Alexis's father, Gwyn, is doing a terrific job in that Facebook group. And the group has helped bring Alexis Gabe home. I would strongly encourage anyone who you know is following the case help to join that group and see what you can do. You know, and it's just a great way for the community to come together and support the family. So that's all that we have this week for news stories. But I would love to hand it back over to Kyle to talk a little bit about something that we don't normally cover on the podcast. Yes, Melissa, that would be our bi-weekly special sections. These sections available both in print and online are supplemental inserts that cover thematic topics rather than the topical news stories that we do in the main paper. This week, for example, we put out a section called Summer Fun and Kids Camps, and I think it's pretty great. Summer is my favorite season, and so I'm really excited about this section. There are some articles in there on camping, hiking, road trips, you name it. Plus, for parents, we've highlighted some local businesses if you're looking for something to keep the kids busy and learning while school's out. I wish we had more time to really dive into it today, but instead I'll encourage you to check it out online at thepress.net or by picking up a copy of our weekly paper. Awesome, Kyle. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to seeing that. And, you know, whether you have kids or not, you definitely want to pick up your own copy. That's it for today's episode of Clocked In With The Press. We appreciate you taking the time to listen in, and we look forward to speaking with you in future episodes. If you would like to read more news of East Contra Costa County, you can do so through our website at www.thepress.net. Or through our Twitter and Instagram at The Press Clocked In. Contact us with your thoughts on this episode or any before it. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll speak with you all next time. This is Melissa, Jake Menez, and Kyle Szymanski, Clocking Out. Once again, I'd like to thank this week's sponsor, Bill Brant Ford, located at 8100 Brentwood Boulevard. Whether you're looking to buy a new Ford, a used Ford, or get some work done on your Ford, you want Bill Brant Ford. Give them a call today at 925-634-3551. That number again is 925-634-3551. Or visit them online at BillBrantFord.com. That's Bill Brant, B-R-A. NDT Ford.com.